Blood Brothers Podcast, a Five Pillars Production. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh, my dear brothers, sisters, friends, and the foes out there. Welcome to another episode of the Blood Brothers Podcast with your host, Didi Hussain. Before I kick off today's podcast, remember to subscribe to the Five Pillars YouTube channel and find us everywhere on all the audio platforms under Blood Brothers. Now, many of you may know or may not know that on the 7th of March, Sunday 7th of March, uh, Switzerland will be voting on a constitutional amendment which could potentially prevent our Muslim sisters from wearing the niqab or the burqa. Um, it appears, sadly, that Switzerland is following the trend of other European countries, namely France, but others, in having a problem with uh, women who cover their face uh, for religious purposes. And to discuss this issue further and to understand exactly what's going on in Switzerland, I have Sister Fera Uluche from Switzerland's Islamic Central Committee. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Wa alaikum for inviting me. No, it's an absolute honor having you on, Sister Fera. How's things with you? Everything's good. How are you? Alhamdulillah. I am well. But we are concerned as we are whenever we hear that these kind of situations are taking place, especially in the western part of Europe where that part of the continent claims to be champions of freedoms and champions of liber- uh, liberalism and so forth, and yet we hear about these kind of policies. Um, just to start off today's podcast, give us a bit of background as to the events which has led to the amendment which is going to take place on the 7th of March. Yes, um, I would like to do that. As you know, 2006, we had the caricatures of our beloved Prophet Muhammad Sallam in Denmark. Yep. And they were, also, they were also showed here in Switzerland. So that was the first time that we really felt something is going on in this country that's not cool, that's anti-Muslim. And then 2009, um, the Swiss voters had to vote if they, are, if they would like to ban the minaret in Switzerland. And the pro-campaign, they used pictures of a minaret Next to this minaret was a woman with the cup looking very angry. So it was clear at, in 2009 that the next step will be the ban of niqab. Mm. Uh, it got accepted that it's forbidden now in Switzerland to, to build minarets. And now almost more than 10 years later, we're going to discuss if the niqab also should be banned. So you see, it is, it's building up, it's building up, it's building up. And already now we are discussing about the hijab. So I don't think that they will stop with the niqab and they will move forward. So let me ask you this, Sister Farah. Do you believe Switzerland, which generally speaking, isn't known per se like the likes of France or Britain or Germany or Italy? Certain countries have taken very harsh, strong positions against Islamic symbols and so forth, right? Switzerland, generally speaking, besides watches, cheese and banks, you know, many Muslims outside of Switzerland believe that this is just a country of beautiful scenery and people go to hide their millions of pounds, right? How do you think that Switzerland is being influenced by other European countries in terms of the trend, in terms of the shift towards being anti-Muslim in their politics and their policies? I think they influence each other and that sometimes I think when France bans something, Austria wants to ban more and then it's Germany and then Switzerland. But I think the Swiss government and the Swiss people make it very intelligent 
because they say we are not against Muslims or Islam in general. We are only against uh, extremism. We are, ex uh, we are against the political Islam. We are against people who, are, who don't want to integrate in our country. So they make it very intelligent, but I think it makes sense or it is clear that they have a problem with Islam in general. Sister Fera, I will respectfully say to you this, just based on that little segment, what you described to me, the Muslims in the UK, and I'm sure the Americans who are going to be watching this and the Canadians who are going to be watching this, is that the whole discussion about banning the niqab, banning halal meat, issues pertaining to circumcision or polygynous marriages, whatever it is, all of these normative mainstream Islamic beliefs and practices, it's nearly always associated with extremism or a lack of integration. Um, do you believe this thinking is becoming mainstream in Swiss society? Yes, of course, because they were building up this narrative since 2006, because what they said is niqab is extremism, because when they spoke about Salaf people or Wahhabiya, they showed a woman with niqab, and especially yesterday, there was a big discussion in the Swiss national te television, a so-called Islam expert, I would say she's hating Islam, she said the niqab is the uniform of the Islamic State. So they built this narrative up and now it's almost correct that niqabis are the extremism, are the extremist part of Islam. But if we watch that through the Islamic glasses, we know it's just a part of Islam which women can choose if they want to cover their face or not. Islamically, it's not extremism. Islamically, it's totally correct and good if they want Absolutely. to do that. Let's make but it, they build this narrative. Let me just make this abundantly clear for brothers and sisters who are watching this. Our sisters who wear hijab, don't wear hijab, wear niqab. The face covering is a normative mainstream Islamic belief. Let's make that very clear. It is not a practice from 7th century Arabia. It's not something that's cultural to Arabia. If you look at photos from Ottoman period Bosnia, and Maghreb, you will see that the niqab was something that was very much mainstream and very much widely worn. And this narrative about the niqab and the burqa being something that's only uh, for Salafis or, or, or Salafist extremists or is something that's uh, Arabian culture, right? We've had these arguments um, and these are very weak arguments. Um, but with regards to, you know, uh, have you... Has the Muslim community been able to gauge any kind of support from non-Muslims in terms of alliances, in terms of rights groups who might be liberal in their out view and may not even agree with the niqab and may see it as yes. something that's, that, that's, that's misogynistic or whatever they believe it is but would support Muslims on the principles and the values of freedoms, etc. and individual liberty. Have you been able to create such alliances? Um, not really alliances but... There are some um, people, they are not for this, they are not pro-niqab, mm. but they don't want it to be banned. Okay. Because they think every woman should be allowed to wear what she wants. But what I would like to say is, even if they are not pro-niqab, or if they don't want to be, they sorry, let me be clear. That's good. There, good. there is people, they don't want the niqab to be banned, but because of different reasons. Not because they like the niqab or they like the lifestyle of a Muslim woman. No, it's a principal question. Should be the Swiss constitution the place who forces women or tells them what they wear, should wear and what not. 
So it is principle thoughts they have about that. It's not because they support us as Muslim women or they would say, yes, that's cool niqab. Every woman should wear it. But I'm happy they are not, they are supporting us in this case. But I would say our lifestyle, our values, our moral is totally different. Absolutely. And I'm very, very happy that you made that clear because Sometimes many Muslim activists and du'at, you know, when we face these kind of problems, we think that having non-Muslim allies will give us victory. We need to understand that Allah gives us victory and Allah decides. And Allah has only made our situation easier when we've taken leadership of our own situation. And of course, if you have non-Muslim allies who, who support you on values and principles, it's always nice because you, you have more of a mainstream exposure. But the truth of the matter is, that we have to deal with our own issues and our distinct and unique values. Um, so yeah, um, in terms of the referendum that's coming up on the 7th of March, right? Mm -hmm. um, do you think there is cross-party support for this, uh, the left, the right, and or is it something that's generally associated with the right wing? That's also very interesting. You know, the right wing is not only the right people, also the liberals are against or pro niqab ban. So that shocked me. How can people from the liberal party say the niqab should be forbidden in Switzerland? So you see, most of people in Switzerland are ready to vote. Yes, we're going to forbid that. It's just a very small people, group of people who supports us. But that's totally okay. As long as we Muslim stand up for each other, as long as we Muslim say what is correct and what's not. I don't care what the people say. It's important what we Muslims do. Alhamdulillah. Um, and how are you finding that? How is your organization and yourself finding support from fellow Muslims? Are you getting support from fellow Muslims? Because let me tell you one problem which exists, Sister Farah, yeah? Yes. Especially with the niqab. You will find many... Muslims who say, why do you have to wear the niqab for? Isn't hijab and jilbab enough? Is not abaya enough? Why do you have to cover your face for? Why are you making yourself a target? Why are you adopting a minority opinion in the Hanbali fiqh or something like this? Yeah, or the do you, do you understand? We hear this from our own Muslims. Yeah? In the you same... Know, you know what they don't understand? What? Hijab will be next. It's not because... It's not, it will not stop with niqab. It will be, the next part will be hijab. Then next time they will forbid praying publicly. Next time they will say you cannot eat halal anymore. So it's very naive if you think, oh no, it's not targeting me. It has nothing to do with me. It's only the women with niqab. You make a big mistake. And we have to support each other. Because in a few months or a few years, you will be the next with your hijab. Uh, but have you heard these kind of arguments? Yeah, we have a Christian party here in Switzerland and she said um, they want to forbid hijab at schools. So we are very naive when we think it's not, it's not, we are very naive when we think it's going to stop. No, it won't. They will go further and further because the problem is also if they, saw, if they see no reaction from Muslims, they will go on and go on and go on because they think we can do everything with them. They cannot even organize themselves. They, are, they, can, they can't take any action. If you check the situation in France, I mean, France people, French people are very known to go to demonstrate. 
if they don't like anything, something. There are millions of people every weekend going to the street and demonstrate for their rights. So we know the situation in France for Muslims are very bad. So what are they doing? There are millions of Muslims in France who could go to the streets, who could show Emmanuel Macron, yep. we will not accept that. But what are they doing? So I, am, I have a hard time if we say, oh no, this is the, these are the mean people and they take our rights. But we can do something. We are a lot of people. We are a lot of Muslims here in Europe. We have the base, we have the knowledge. We just have to take actions because we don't have to accept Islamophobia. We don't have to accept it and we have to fight against it. Um, I find that one... And let me say one thing. Let me say one thing. Bismillah. I was so happy when Five Pillars um, shared this news in English about what's go what was going on in Switzerland at the 7th of March. I was so happy because I never saw it before. And I think it's so important that we Muslims no matter where we live, understand what's going on in the different countries. Because we have to keep going on. We have to be together. When we are together, we are stronger. Jazakumullah khair. Um, I, for your kind words, I'm sorry that we didn't and couldn't do enough before that. But inshallah, now we, now we are here. Let, let it be known that Five Pillars is your platform as much as it is ours. So you have our full backing and support in this, as the Muslims of Denmark did and France did when these things were happening. We're just sorry we, we got onto it late. Um, I think it's a very important principle that you highlighted there and I'm, and I'm very happy that there's certain things that you're saying here Which is very very important for du'at and activists Especially activists to take heed from And that is Success really lie, relies on our unity Realistically uh, when, For example when Jerusalem was occupied It wasn't a Christian king that liberated it for us do you understand? It was Salahuddin al-Ayyubi and he had to unite the ranks. And we have many of these examples that it was his good to have allies or supporters. Fundamentally, the situation lies with Muslims. Yeah. In the UK, I can't speak in any other country, but I know it exists in the UK, I know it exists in the, in, in the US. What happens with Muslims' lack of organization is to do with sectarianism. They're Salafi, they're Sufi. Yeah. Or these are Ikhwani, they are from Muslim Brotherhood or, or, or these kind of things, right? And because of this intradifference, yeah We are very slow to unite on these issues unless it's too late Do you understand? So yes, I, I, totally So do, do, you, do you, have you guys experienced this problem Where your organisation or the movement to protect the niqab Has been labelled as a particularly Salafi thing Or a particularly... Um, uh, do you understand what I'm trying to say to you? Have you experienced it? Because this is one problem that we've experienced for many years. And yes. even... And mean, e yeah, sorry. They say about our organization, and we are the biggest Islamic organization in Switzerland, that we are a Salafi organization or we are the extremist uh, organization. And they said when we started this campaign, it, should, it, it would be better if we won't speak. The party said it's better for the initiative that it will not be passed if we are quiet. And I said, hello, we are Muslims, of course we are going to speak for ourselves. We don't care what you think or what you want from us, because you will never fight for our rights as we do. 
because we are Muslims, it is our life who got targeted. You will live, you know, you as a woman here in Switzerland with no hijab, with no niqab, as a non-Muslim, you will live your life as before. It will not target you, it will target me. So you cannot take away my right to speak. And the other thing is, you said, yes, we have these different groups, Salafi, Ikhwan, Sufi. But I think that's one problem why we are not able to work with each other. But to be honest, I think it's also an ego problem. Everyone wants to be the most famous, the most successful, the most um, um, influential. So we forget why we are doing that. Do, are we doing it to, um, to, to say our agenda? Or are we really doing it to save the Islam, to spread Islam, to be successful for Allah? And at the end of the day to go to Jannah. So what are our intentions? And if our intentions are clear and clean, we will be able to work with each other. You know, and the point is we don't have to be, we don't have to agree with everything what the other does. Sahih. It is totally okay in the Islam if you have different opinions on something. But if Islam is getting attacked, and it is now, Islam is getting attacked, we have to come together and we have to put our differences to the side to be strong, to be one unit to fight against Islamophobia. Jazakallah khair, that was um, very true and beautiful words. Um, and I hope our viewers and listeners are, are taking heed of this. Um, sorry, Sister Farah, what happens is when guests say something that I strongly agree with, I start giving my own commentary of it afterwards, my own tafsir of what you just said. But the point here is, I think the take-home message here is, brothers and sisters, friends, is that Muslim unity is something that is so critical, is something so pivotal to the progress of the Ummah, that it is one of the foundational pillars, right? We know that um, lying is a major sin, but... It happens to be that on one of the occasions where you're allowed to lie is to bring two Muslims together. Yeah? And we know that, uh, so, and we also know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, in various passages of the Quran, he refers to the believers as one unit, refers to the believers as brothers. Uh, the Prophet gave the analogy of the body. Why give the analogy of a body? Why would you give the analogy of a body? You've chopped that little finger off of yours, you chop any part of your body off, do anything the rest of the body responds, right? And um, I, I think it's very important uh, for activists, especially in the West, is that when it comes to the attacks against Islam and our identity, that we have to put theological and political differences aside. We have to. Because at the end of the day, if you believe in the five pillars of Islam, and the six articles of Iman, right? From that point onwards, everything else has to be put aside to defend these things, ultimately. And you can resume your theological debates afterwards and your differences afterwards. But fundamentally, when these kind of things are under attack, the Islam requires from us to come together. Um, are you scared that you and your organization are running this uh, campaign to protect the niqab? How's it been in terms of press coverage, media coverage? I know... Um, Switzerland's Muslim community is significantly smaller than its other Western European counterparts. I know that the community is much newer than the communities in, let's say, Britain and France and Germany. Um, how are you personally and your organization managing this immense pressure? 
we are not scared. We will never be scared to speak the truth because it's not in our hands if we are going to win or not. The only thing what we can do is fight against that with everything we have. If it's going to be passed and in our constitution will be written the niqab is forbidden, it's not our mistake because we did everything in our power. And when you speak about media, you know, they're intelligent. They are very intelligent to spread their narratives. And what they use now are so-called Muslims who say, yes, it's okay if you forbid niqab because there are only 20 women in Switzerland wearing niqab. But they will not cover Muslims who will stand up for, for each for itself and speak the truth. So we are using our own platform on the social media. And this is why we started this campaign. We want to collect money as much as possible to share a video message to the Swiss society through social media, which will be adversed so we can reach as many people as possible, because almost everyone is using social media nowadays, to explain them why it doesn't, why it makes no sense to forbid the niqab. And this video will be very rational, very um, full of arguments why they should vote no to the niqab ban. So we will, we are, we recorded this video actually last week. We will publish it on February 1st. We will give a lot of money to it to adver adverse it. Yes. So it can reach as many people as possible. So we are not depend on the Swiss media because they will not cover it as of you course. want to. Of course. So we are going to take it in our own hands. Allah I hope people understand me. No, no, they will understand. I understand you, alhamdulillah. Um, look, uh, I think some many people will be wa watching or listening to this podcast and think, subhanAllah, what Sister Farah has described, has, is this happening to Switzerland now? Because for the last 15, 20 years in the UK, you know, whenever the government or the, the, the media establishment want to push a particular agenda, they will always bring a Muslim who is a Muslim but in name, yeah? Or an ex-Muslim. Yeah, or someone or a Muslim who was maybe a Salafi or went to Bosnia to fight jihad or something, or was either with the Muslim Brotherhood or HT, and people who have uh, been enlightened, and they'll come. They'll say, no, 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 no. Everything's halal. Everything's um, everything's open. You know, and uh, this has been happening for 15, 20 years, Farah, in the UK. Mm -hmm. Yes, since nine eleven, since. Afghanistan, Iraq and everything Literally for the last 20 years That's what the Muslims in the UK have been facing The mainstream media will bring people Who are barely Muslim yeah, To give fatawa right? to, to make the halal haram And haram halal that's, that's, that's something we've been experiencing And hence why you have the likes of five pillars But nowadays it's not only that They also ignore Muslim people As I told you We are the biggest Islamic organization in Switzerland and last Friday, there was a big discussion on the Swiss national television. They discussed for more than one hour if the niqab should be banned or not. And imagine we were not invited. So how can you not invite someone who represents the biggest, most Muslims in this country and you don't let them to speak their opinion? So they make it on purpose. They have an agenda behind that. It's not only they take Muslims 
they are Muslims by name, I would say, they also ignore now and put Muslims, they are going to speak the truth on the one side and they don't give them a platform anymore. Look, let's have a very brutally honest conversation to bring the podcast to a close, Sister Fera. Yeah. Okay. All many European countries are now taking these stances. It's mainly the niqab, but some countries have had problems with halal meat. Some countries have had issues with uh, male circumcision. Certain various in Germany, they've they've introduced a policy which is like an integration policy where new refugees or immigrants have to spend a certain amount of time in state institutions to assimilate them into German society. There seems to be a running trend and a running theme, right? The exclusion and the isolation of mainstream Muslims. And to introduce reformist, or as we say in the UK, deformist ideas and agendas. Yeah, mm-hmm. why do you think that is? Because you you're talking about before we pressed record, you were talking to me about the Swiss Constitution. You were telling me rightfully so that generally speaking, Switzerland always played a mediator or a neutral role, and so forth. Right, but we can say that about some of the Scandinavian countries. Norway, Finland, Sweden has always generally been neutral countries But even Sweden is taking certain decisions now Towards combating Islamist extremism and so forth Why is it that we're seeing countries who champion liberalism to the rest of the world And champion freedoms and liberty to the rest of the world Are choosing to treat their Muslim minorities like this Why do you think this is happening? I think the Islam as a lifestyle, as a religion, with its values and morals, could be attracted or no, could be an, an, an concrete to the secularism European agenda. So what they did now for 20 years at least is feeding this Islamophobic narrative. And they have to move forward. They cannot only feed it, so they have to also take actions. Now, for example, in Switzerland, it was first uh, minaret, now it will be niqab. So their agenda is clear. They are Islamophobia. They have something against Islam. They want, they don't want to Islam to be established here in Europe. So this is why they fight against it. And we have to understand that. We have to understand and yeah, we have to understand why they are working so hard against Islam. How often have you heard the argument from both Muslims and non-Muslims that if you really have a problem with the laws of this country, why don't you go back to Bangladesh or Pakistan or Turkey or wherever it is that you come from? Why do you go if if you if you don't like our countries and our laws so much, go to Saudi or somewhere where you'd be happier? How often do you hear this? Every day, especially in the comments. Every day, even even if you give an interview for the media. Why do you live here? You can go somewhere else to live. First of all, I both grew up in Switzerland. That's my country. I have the Swiss passport. This is my hometown. And second of all, just because you are racist and intolerant, I don't have to leave my home country. We have the freedom of religion. We have the freedom to practice our religion in our constitution. If you don't like these rights, go. This is our country, these are the rules of our country. If you don't want to accept them, if you don't want to live with these rules, you can leave the country. Because I, I don't want to change anything. I don't want to take someone's right, or I don't want to force anyone to wear the niqab. 
but you are the one who's trying to take me something away. So if anyone has a problem, if anyone should leave the country, you are the one. That's why I answer. <laughs> I don't know. That's, 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 that's quite a thug life response, that is, mashallah. Uh, I, gonna, I might actually use that one. Mohsen, what do you think? When, when someone says, why don't you, do you leave the country? I'm like, bruv, why don't you leave the country? <laughs> that's a good response. I might use that one. Uh, but look, look, Britain has, the British constitution has certain uh, clauses and certain things which it mentions, which appears to protect individual liberty, freedoms and so forth, right? But let's be honest, Sister Fedor, I'm going to say it how it is, right? These, these, these beautiful values and laws and constitutional rights, as we're seeing in the, as the Muslims of India are experiencing, as the Muslims of Kashmir are experiencing, as the Muslims of Myanmar ex experienced, as the Muslims of France are experiencing, as the Muslims of Britain have experienced, that these constitutional rights and stuff, that there appears to be a double standard when it's applied. Right, so freedom of freedom of expression is fantastic, because the value of freedom of speech is basically this: say what you want, so long as you don't incite hatred or violence against a particular people. Right, that's generally the liberal position. Yet, just as an example, yeah, if Muslims were to come out and say the Muslim world should unite, or the Muslim world should rule by Sharia, or we want invading countries to leave our lands and there's to be peace and prosperity. We'll be labelled extremist. We'll be, lab we'll be gagged. We'll have silencing orders. We'll be labelled. We'll be tarnished. We'll lose our jobs. Where is our, we're not saying to kill anyone, to hate anyone. Right now, the UK sister Fera, they are now discussing that to even say that, you know, uh, the kind of uh, haram that the people of Lut did. If we are to say that this is something which you will go to that, that is punishable by death under, let's say, a, a government which doesn't exist at the moment, yeah, it's a mm -hmm. hypothetical, or to say that it's a mm -hmm. major sin, it's a major crime, yeah, it's hate speech. There's a whole discussion surrounding just articulating normative, orthodox, mainstream Islamic beliefs. It is now being constituted, there's a whole discussion that these, these things can now qualify as hate speech. So I guess what I'm asking you is, how do what what are your thoughts on Muslims dealing with the double standards of our constitutional rights? Because we've all got constitutional rights. You've got constitutional rights under Swiss law. I've got constitutional rights under British law. But I also know that British citizens, Muslim, who were born in the UK, have had their citizenships revoked without a trial in a secret court whilst they've been abroad somewhere. We have a law in the UK which was passed in 2019 which is called the Counter-Terrorism and Security Border Act. That means, Sister Farah, that if you are with an aid convoy, let's say in Iraq, or in the border with Syria, or in Kashmir, or in Yemen, or in Somalia, doing charity work, that your citizenship can be revoked without you even knowing it, because you are in a country which the government sees as a threat. How do Muslims deal with this double standards of constitutional rights? As I mentioned before, we have to take actions. We have to show our government that we are not accepting to be discriminated. We have to go to the streets. And to be honest, yes, we have to rebel. We have to show them we are not going to accept that we don't tolerate it anymore. And we have to build pressure to the to the government because um, 
I'm pretty sure if millions of people are going to demonstrate and leave their works or I don't know now the right words in English, but I think you understand me. If we show them that we are not going to accept it anymore, they will react differently. And I don't know the situation in, in England in very clear, but here in Switzerland, as example, if you are discriminated or if you can't, if someone took your rights, you have to go to the court. You cannot say, okay, inshallah, they took my rights. No, you have to fight for your rights because you have to show, even if you are got um, judged, you can show how hypocritic this government and this society is. But you always, it doesn't matter what it is, you will never move, you will never move forward if you don't take actions. If you stay quiet, if you sit in your home and think everything is fine, nothing is going to change. And you said we cannot speak about one topic. Um, how was it 20 years ago? They, they, this group of people were also very discriminated. And, how, and look how it changed in 20 years. What did they do? They come together, they fought for their rights, they said, we are not going to accept anymore that we are discriminated. We want the same rights. We want this marriage, this, etc., etc. So for me, there is hope that we can change the situation, but it will not come from itself. We have to take action. So we have to kill, come together. We have to work as one ummah. We have to show them that we are a lot and we are not going to accept that anymore. And I hope with that and with Allah's help, the change will come. Inshallah, inshallah. Um, inshallah. Uh, to conclude, what can your brothers and sisters in the UK and outside of Switzerland do to help you and help the Muslims of Switzerland? What can we do to help, uh, whether it be financially, whether it could, whatever, whatever it is, what kind of things would you like from your brothers and sisters outside of Switzerland to do for you and for this movement and for this particular initiative? So how, how can you help us? So first of all, please spread this news. Speak with your friends and families about this topic so they understand what's going on. Second of all, we started this campaign to spread our point of view to the Swiss citizens. We want to explain them why it makes no sense to vote pro ban. For that, we need money. We have the expertise, we have the knowledge, we, want the, we know the direction, but we need the help of our Swiss of our Muslim brothers and sisters financially. We have a PayPal link where you can donate money to support our campaign and we would really love it if you support it. I would like to say thank you if you do. May Allah reward you with the best. Ameen. Jazakumullah khair. Sister Farah, it was an absolute pleasure having you on. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make it easy for the Muslimin uh, in Switzerland, I mean, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make you successful uh, over the wrongdoers and, and, and the oppressors, I mean, and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make the, the actions uh, of yourself, your organization, all the Muslims, may it weigh heavier on your mizan on the day of judgment, inshallah. I mean, thank you for having me. No, Jazakumullah khair for giving your time. Assalamu alaikum. Alaikum salam. Brothers and sisters, uh, that was all for today's episode. Um, look, for those of you who follow the podcast, very rarely do I give mini speeches after episodes. And when I do, it's because I regard the subject matter uh, to be a very important one. Look, 
generally speaking, I would say that Muslims were somewhat behind the ball with regards to what was happening in Western Europe, right? Whether it's the minaret ban in Switzerland, whether it be the niqab ban in France, whatever it may be. But there are certain core messages that I'm so happy that Sister Farah mentioned. And wallahi, I want you all to take great heed of these messages. Number one, number one, unity. Allah's victory comes when Muslims are unified, generally speaking. And I challenge anyone to give me an example from history where a non-Muslim has been the liberator yeah, for Muslim causes. You will never find it. You will always find that Allah gave victory to the believers at the hands of the believers. Number two, just because you do not wear the niqab, just because you do not wear the burqa, just because you do not believe it to be a fard, that does not mean that it is not a normative mainstream Islamic position for some Muslim women. And if they are wearing that to be closer to Allah as a sign of their worship and obedience to Allah because they believe this to be following the sunnah of the Prophet and, the, and his women folk, may Allah be pleased with them all, then it should be your right, it should be your prerogative and your objective to defend it as if you were a niqabi. That's the truth of it. As Sister Farah said, it's the niqab today, it's the hijab tomorrow. It could be public salah another time. At what point do we draw a line and say, this thing does not concern me? And thirdly, thirdly, which I'm very happy again what Sister Farah mentioned, and that's why I'm reiterating and re-emphasizing this in the closing of this podcast, is that, look, we have to do something. We have to organize. You simply cannot sit back and think, whatever situation it is, right? Today we spoke about the niqaban in Switzerland, but there's various issues that we've experienced as a community. That if we do not act, and if we do not organize, that... When we meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on the day of judgment and we're held accountable as to what did you do to protect the deen of Islam, the deen of Allah, when you had the means and the resources to do so. And we know, and I conclude on this hadith of the Prophet where he said that when the believer sees a munkar, an evil or a wrongdoing, that he should change it with his hands. If not, he should speak out against it. And the lowest form of iman is to hate it from within. Right? And we also know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us in the Quran that He has elevated us as an ummah, as the best nation raised from amongst mankind. Why? Allah caveats it. He says, because we enjoin in good and forbid evil. So, all of these things put together, I hope that viewers and listeners that have watched this episode, that you can, that you try your utmost best to support um, the pro niqab uh, campaign in Switzerland. And generally speaking, any Muslim causes that are centered around the defense and the articulation of our identity, our values, our beliefs. Um, so please, um, the link to support uh, the Pro Niqab campaign will be at the bottom of this screen. It will also be in the description. Uh, please like this video. Please subscribe to the channel. Leave a comment. Share it. And until next time, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Blood Brothers Podcast, a five-headed production. production.